Thanks for tuning in today to the Big Blue Podcast. I'm your host, Vic Moore, and let's get into today's interview. And today's guest is Trisha Bear. You might remember her from Farragut back in the day in the drama team. Trisha, say hello to everybody here. Hey, y'all. How's it going? So uh, I, I got you on your busy schedule here. You're, you're on your way to your job of work, and we appreciate you taking the time out. So what's been going on for the last few years in your life? Well, yeah, the last few years, if you want to start in like 2012 or a little maybe four or five, four and a half, five years before that, uh, my husband and children, three children and I were living in, in Farragut, and uh, my husband and I owned the Cookies by Design Cookie Bouquet franchise, which we had owned since about 2000. Our business took a really big hit. We bought it in 2000, established business franchise. September of 2001 happened. That was kind of a luxury item. What we sold were hand-decorated fancy cookies that were displayed on sticks like a flower bouquet and, and delivered. Uh-huh. And that started and, it, you started it in 2000 and then something happened? Well, actually, we, we sold it around 2009. Okay. And um, 2008, we started traveling. My husband traveled full-time for his work. Mm-hmm. and um, was only home maybe four or five days out of the month, which was not really conducive to raising three children. And so, yeah, all alone. <laughs> I, yeah, all alone. And I had um, and trying to run a small business, and um, yeah, there was a lot of obstacles. And I had found this website on the internet called Families on the Road, F-O-T-R, and started reading these people's blogs and stories about why they were a family on the road traveling around. And it really inspired me. And I would read these people's stories and kind of like, you know, really get um, emotional about it, thinking, well, that could be us. So we bought a small RV, a little travel trailer, and didn't invest a lot in case we didn't like being on the road. And we sold our house and all of our stuff, mostly. We um, got rid of everything except for a small, like, eight by six unit. And we took off with my husband's job and began homeschooling our kids. Yeah, so that was cool. Wow, that's and a great idea. Right? I don't think most people think of that when, like, the breadwinner is far away, the family's in another location. Usually it's like, find another job, buddy, get closer to home. But no, here you guys are. Take the family to uh, dad. So, what a great idea. So, yeah, so we, uh, my husband's work, he worked in the industrial flooring industry. So we started homeschooling. And right before this all happened, when my son was about, one of my sons, um, I have twin sons that are now 22 and a daughter that's 19. My one son, Burke, he um, saw something over my shoulder while I was logging into the internet one day about mercury and high fructose corn syrup. Mm. And I was like, you know, asked me, you know, what high fructose corn syrup was. And it was, you know, seven o'clock in the morning. I just wanted to get to my email and get <laughs> the kids out the door to school. And I was like, I don't know, Burke. I think it's what they put in soda. 
The use of high fructose corn syrup has been skyrocketing since the 1970s, and now, if you're eating something sweet, there's about a 50% chance that that sweetness is coming from high fructose corn syrup. So, so suspicious. Well, we have a graph. That's the obesity rate in America going through the roof right about the same time that every single product in the grocery store started getting enhanced. Getting enhanced. Getting enhanced. It's making sweet foods much less expensive, and so the barrier to consuming them is lower, and it is very rewarding to have a nice cold Coca-Cola. So there's a combination of economics, biochemistry, brain chemistry, and in general, people eating sugar of all kinds, which probably isn't very good for us. soda anymore and <laughs> I was like what and we weren't like you know I, I didn't buy soda to have at the house all the time for the kids but we would get it you know Friday night with the pizza or birthday parties or you know out at a restaurant that type of thing and so you know I knew it wasn't super healthy but I wasn't something you know I forbid or anything like that and I thought that was pretty curious of him. So when we um, started transition out of our house into our RV, he had already asked if we could switch over to organic food um, because he had found out about genetically modified organisms in our food system and wasn't real excited as an eight-year-old wanting to consume that and found that the only way to pretty much avoid that in our food was to you know buy only organic foods. And he approached his father and I and said, you know, hey, I'll, you know, we should eat all organic. And we were like, oh, geez, Burke, you know, we can't afford that. That's not in our budget. And he looked at us and he was kind of like, well, from all these things I've been learning, we can either pay these organic farmers or we can pay the hospital later. And we, you know, you know what, what, a, what a brilliant way of thinking for such a young <laughs> mind, you know. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of shocking, honestly. And we were like, uh, you know, well, and then we kind of were like, oh, geez, he's probably right. Because <laughs> we were looking at this stuff that he was, you know, researching himself and, you know, he was eight, nine years old and we weren't just giving him free reign to, you know, research on the internet. And so, you know, we were checking the things and we can, we were really dismayed and also, you know, there was all kinds of emotions, everything from anger to shock to be like, you know, I, how can they, put, you know, how are they doing this and nobody knows about it, that type of thing. So when we started traveling, he said, this is the perfect time for us to switch over to completely organic food. And we went through our cupboards, you know, we donated a lot of stuff, which actually made me feel kind of bad. And we had owned this business where we were like, you know, I want to go ahead and say it, poisoning people with, you know, uh, highly processed flour, you know, white sugar, you know, margarine blends, and, you know, a lot of like food coloring, food dyes, and... As I started to learn what my son was learning, I was starting to really have a lot of reservations about this, you know, business that I'd been in going on, on you know, nine years. So that was, that was, you know, interesting and wild to like, you know, kind of like break my cognitive dissonance of uh -huh. what I thought food was. And I had been a chef, I'd, you know, my first business back in the early 90s was a restaurant. So, you know, I had a lot of, you know, restaurant food experience, but yeah, you know, I never questioned for one second where my food actually came from besides the store or, right. you know, the food service distributor. I never even thought about how it got there. Um, there was never any any of that. So when we started traveling, we were homeschooling. And um, one of the things that we did um, was we would research where we were traveling to and look for organic farms and farmers markets. And, you know, sometimes when we were in smaller towns, um, it was almost impossible to find uh, organic foods in grocery stores. I know it's a lot more common now, 
but he really wanted to meet farmers and get to know them and you know, find out how the food that we were eating was grown and ask questions and that type of thing. So we did that a couple of years, you know, for we, we actually traveled for four and a half years. And so during that time period, we visited tons of different farms and mm-hmm. things. And he, he met, we, we were in middle Tennessee once and um, a very well-known fella in the food world, I guess, the farming world anyway, a fellow named Joel Salatin was doing a day-long um, speaking engagement at this place called The Farm, which is quite notorious. It's been around since the 70s. It was when all the back-to-the-lander hippies back in the day were, you know, they traveled around and they found this piece of land in Tennessee, which is... Um, a little bit, I'm going to say it's going to be southwest of Nashville. Mm-hmm. And it's called the, and, did you say the Love or the Dove Farm? No, it's called The Farm. The Farm, okay. Yeah, this is The Farm, that's it. Okay. So um, someone that I had met along the way was organizing this um, this talk with Joel Salatin there, and I hit him up through social media or email and was like, hey, my son's really... He, he read a Joel Salatin article and really thinks he's a smart fella and wants to meet him. And is there any way he, you would let, you know, a nine or 10 year old come and, you know, be at this event all day. And he was, and I was like, you know, and I'm on a budget, you know, <laughs> it was like, you know, maybe $250 or something for an adult to attend. And he worked with me and, you know, gave me a a kid price and he was like, sure. And so I dropped my kid off at this place to listen to this farmer speak all day long. And um, that was a big, it was a big deal. And um, he was very, I mean, fascinated. And I don't know how many, you know, nine, 10 year old kids, he might've been 11, but I think he was closer to 10. Um, you know, could sit still for a whole day seminar in a group in a group of adults, you know, listening to somebody talk about food and farming. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was a, a really pivotal, you know, experience for him getting to meet Joel. And, and, and Joel, if you've ever heard Joel talk, he's very um, engaging. And yeah, I could listen to him talk a, for, a lot because he's very much a farmer philosopher. And, um, so, um, yeah, we went and picked him up that afternoon and it was funny. I was sitting outside the door and I guess they were doing like a Q and a, and, um, I heard this voice asking about, um, you know, did you have to have separate insurance for your farm vehicles than you do for your, you know, your, your, your vehicles that you drive on the road? And it sounded, you know, it was a, at first I thought it was a woman because it's my, you know, my kid's voice hasn't hadn't changed yet. <laughs> and I realized it was my son, you know, like 10 years old, asking this really like valid question about farming, about insurance. And I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. <laughs> and um, yeah, so from there we visited all these different farms and we're just, you know, really like started making all my food from scratch and um, buying fresh vegetables directly from farmers. We volunteer on a lot of these farms and go and help pull weeds or, you know, pick vegetables. And then they would send us home with a big bag of vegetables as a thank you. So that was really cool. 
And um, yeah, we just really started getting into the local food movement. Um, I don't know if anybody's ever heard of the slow food movement, but um, that we were exposed to that and went to several versus fast food. Yeah. Yeah. um, Yeah. It was started by this Italian guy because they opened uh, McDonald's like right by the Spanish steps or something in Rome. And he was just like, Charlotte, free these people. No, Italians, you know, we're really into, you know, food being slow and home cooked. And, you know, it's a big sense of pride for Italians to about their food. And Mm -hmm. he was just like, so he started this organization, slow food that, um, you know, they have uh, conferences all over became, it became a big thing. And, um, yeah, it was really uh, exciting time to be in the local food movement. That was, you know, back in, like, 2009, 2010. And um, we were still traveling. And somehow I saw this thing on Facebook, maybe, uh, and I somebody turned me on to TED Talks. And I had started listening, to, watching and listening to some TED Talks and it was like um, TEDx, Next Generation, you know, Asheville, North Carolina. Well, you know, at the time, um, we, we didn't really live anywhere. So um, I mentioned it to my son because it was like for teenagers. And it said, you know, for ideas worth sharing. And he was literally like, you know, anybody he could get to listen to him talk about food and farming and where their food came from and organic food versus conventional food and all the things um he he would you know be sharing his his gospel so to speak about that and i was like hey why don't you you know do this thing and he said well he looked at it and he's like well it's for 13 to 18 year olds and i'm only 11 and i said well you can do it as a homeschool assignment you know you had to write an essay and like submit like a short video and I said, why don't you just do it for a homeschool assignment? And then you can, um, you know, they all they can say is no. And I said, it'll be a good experience to fill out the online application and, and all that type of thing. Mm-hmm. So he he, we, he made a little video. He wrote, wrote an essay and then he sent it in and they um, called. And then he was selected as one of the speakers. And he, he went, we took him to, we came to Asheville really probably for the first time. And he did like a little, you know, meet and greet with all the people. And um, he, he told me that they only gave him five minutes to talk. And he was a little bit disappointed because the format for Ted, Ted talks, as you might know, is around I think 15 to 17 minutes. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you know, mom, I have a lot to, you know, say about this subject. And, <laughs> Now, five minutes isn't really enough, and I don't know why they only gave me five minutes, and, you know, and I was like, well, I don't know, you know, I, I don't know why they did that, maybe because you're young, you know, younger than everybody else, I don't know. Hello, my name is Burke Bear, and I'm 11 years old. I came here today to talk about what's wrong with our food system. First of all, I would like to say that I'm really amazed how easily kids are led to believe all the marketing and advertising on TV, at public schools, and pretty much everywhere else you look. It seems to me like corporations are always trying to get kids, like me, to get their parents to buy stuff that really isn't good for us or the planet. Little kids especially are attracted by colorful packaging and plastic toys. I must admit, I used to be one of them. 
I also used to think that all of our food came from these happy little farms where pigs rolled in mud and cows grazed on grass all day. What I discovered was this is not true. I began to look into this stuff on the internet, in books, and in documentary films, in my travels with my family. I discovered the dark side of the industrialized food system. First, there's genetically engineered seeds and organisms. That is when a seed is manipulated in a laboratory to do something not intended by nature, like taking the DNA of a fish and putting it into the DNA of a tomato. Yuck. Don't get me wrong. I like fish and tomatoes, but this is just creepy. The seeds, the seeds are then planted, then grown. The food they produce have been proven to cause cancer and other problems in lab animals. And people have been eating food produced this way since the 1990s, and most folks don't even know they exist. Did you know rats that genetically engineered corn had developed signs of liver and kidney toxicity? These include kidney inflammation and lesions and decreased kidney weight. Yet almost all the corn we eat has been altered genetically in some way. And let me tell you, corn is in everything. And don't even get me started on the confined animal feeding operations called CAFOs. <laughs> Conventional farmers use chemical fertilizers made from, made from fossil fuels that they mix with the dirt to make plants grow. They do this because they've stripped the soil from all nutrients, from growing the same crop over and over again. Next, more harmful chemicals are sprayed on fruits and vegetables, like pesticides and herbicides, to kill weeds and bugs. When it rains, these chemicals seep into the ground or run off into our waterways, poisoning our water too. Then they irradiate our food, trying to make it last longer, so it can travel thousands of miles from where it's grown to the supermarkets. So I ask myself, how can I change? How can I change these things? This is what I found out. I discovered that there's a movement for a better way. Now, a while back, I wanted to be an NFL football player. I decided that I'd rather be an organic farmer instead. That way... <laughs> Thank you. And that way, I can have a greater impact on the world. I learned this guy named Joel Salton. They call him a lunatic farmer because he grows against the system. Since I'm homeschooled, I want to go hear him speak one day. This man, this lunatic farmer, doesn't use any pesticides, herbicides, or genetically modified seeds. And so for that, he's called crazy by the system. I want you to know that we can all make a difference by making different choices, by buying our food directly from local farmers or neighbors who we know in real life. I'll, some people say organic or local food is more expensive, but is it really? With all these things I've been learning about the food system, it seems to me that we can either pay the farmer or we can pay the hospital. I know... <laughs> now, I know, one, I know definitely which one I would choose. I want you to know that there are farmers out there, like Bill Keener in Sequatchie Coast Farms in Tennessee whose cows do eat grass and whose pigs do roll in the mud, just like I thought. Sometimes I go to Bill's farm and volunteer so I can see up close and personal where the meat I eat comes from. I want you to know that I believe kids will eat fresh vegetables and good food if they know more about it and where it really comes from. I want you to know that there are farmer's markets in every community popping up. I want you to know that me, my brother, and sister actually like eating baked kale chips. I try to share this everywhere I go. Not too long ago, my uncle said that he offered my six-year-old cousin cereal. He asked if he wanted organic toasted O's or the sugar-coated flakes. You know, the one with the big striped cartoon character on the front? 
My little cousin told his dad that he would rather have the organic toasted O cereal because Burke said he shouldn't eat sparkly cereal. <laughs> and that, my friends, is how we can make a difference, one kid at a time. So next time you're at the grocery store, think local. Choose organic, know your farms, and know your food. Thank you. <laughs> Beautiful talk. Words of wisdom from a child. So, Trisha, you got to be proud of him so much. Um, so, after he gave that talk, what was the response there in the audience? Did people come up to him? Yeah, it was, it was amazing. The audience um, was really, you know, supportive. And it took about a month for the actual video to get edited and be released onto YouTube. Mm -hmm. And um, so when it came out, I was like, you know, I remember being there that day and how great it was and how it was a little bit surreal, you know. But then getting to watch it again on the, you know, the Internet, it was like, wow, that's pretty cool. He did pretty <laughs> good. And um, so... I posted it on a couple of like organic Valley and slow food, like a couple of different pages. I shared it to that were like organic type, you know, businesses or companies or whatever. And, um, from there it started to get shared and go kind of viral on the internet. Yeah. I think I, I bounced around on uh, the internet a lot back then and I stumbled onto it and I recognized, um, when your name was posted anywhere near, I, well, I know her. I went to school with her. And, and <laughs> for those listeners who are wondering, because spelling is difficult to say on an audio podcast, his name is Burke, B-I-R-K-E, last name Bear, B-A-E-H-R. If you are trying to find the talk, and it's TEDx Next Generation Asheville, A-S-H, Ash, not Nash, N-A-S-H. For those of you trying to find this and get a copy of it, and then you can then share it on your platform who are interested in the slow food movement. just want to interject that there. Um, okay, so Trisha, this is awesome. You, you, your, your son has basically changed the lives of your whole family, and now you're all on board. Um, and then what did you do next? I mean, after traveling and homeschooling so much with, with John's job, did you guys ever finally settle down and find a place of your own? So, so in twenty in twenty twelve, um, my husband switched companies and started working with a, a, a flooring material that cures very quickly. Mm -hmm. So he was switching to a type of um, you know job that he was only in one place for maybe you know one or two one night two two nights at the most kind of thing, and that. That was going to be difficult for our family as far as how we had been traveling before um, to, you know, once you pull up your RV and get it unhooked and all the things, it takes a lot to do that. And so, you know, to move every two, one or two days was kind of going to be a lot of a hassle. And then the kids were getting older at this point. The boys were 13. Our daughter was 10 and they were kind of wanting to settle down. So we had visited this um, intentional community slash eco village near Asheville. Um, we had made a, quite a few connections through Burke's talk. Um, in Asheville, he had come back and done another TED talk at, with an adult situation at, in Asheville. He had gone and done another te TEDx, several different TEDx. 
he actually got his his TED talk got put on TED.com too, um, which was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so we ind- visited this. We wanted to visit one of the farms at this eco village. Um, we came and did a little uh, tour through Western North Carolina and um, went to two different farms, one in the eco village, another farm up near um, Burnsville, Silo area of North Carolina called um, Green Toe Ground Farm. We had met this family that had that farm at the um, at a biodynamic conference, which is something that my son is very interested in is biodynamic farming now that he's older, but he his interest began when he was about uh, 13. Um, he studied with a fellow named Hugh Lovell, um, who's now passed on, but um, taught um, something called quantum agriculture. So he's taken it on a, a deeper level. This is based a lot, um, biodynamics is based a lot on the work of Rudolf Steiner. If anybody's familiar with Waldorf schooling, that's where biodynamics comes from. And um, so, and then we visited this eco village, right? It was really cool we did a tour and there was an empty house there and the lady that was giving us the tour said oh um you know this the lady that owns this house doesn't live here in the village she rents it out and i was like wow that'd be kind of cool to live in an off-grid eco village community and you know the kids were like this is kind of neat i mentioned it to my husband and then we went and took a look at it and so we ended up moving there um in august of 2012 and we lived there for almost two years and then we rented a house um nearby the village because we'd made a lot of connections and really had felt like we you know, these were kind of our people and really liked being um, off grid and in this community that, you know, people like, you know, work together and we really were getting connected to where our food came from at this point, you know, so much so that we were, you know, actively hands-on, you know, helping milk cows and raising chickens for food, collecting eggs, all the things. So that was great for our son that really wants to be a farmer and that's his goal in life. And so, yeah, we did all that. And then um, we left for uh, about a year, moved right next door to the the eco village and um, rented a house that we really liked, fell in love with it, wanted to buy, didn't work out at the time. So then we moved back to the eco village and lived there for another three years. And then in 2018, we ended up buying the house that we had lived in for like a year. And that's where we live now. I'm a big Wendell Berry fan, so I don't know if anybody knows who Wendell Berry is. He's another uh, gentleman, like farmer from Kentucky, poet, author, and he talks a lot about being connected, that about humans being connected to a place. I really felt like when I landed deep in these mountains, these Appalachian mountains, you know, growing up in Knoxville, we're like, you know, in the valley, on the outskirts, and you know, I spent a lot of time as a kid visiting the Great Smoky Mountains and just being really in the creeks and, you know, climbing trees and doing all the things, even though I had grown up in the suburbs. It was, there was something about being deep in these mountains to me that I just felt a, a resonance, like this is, this is home. This feels like home to me. Mm-hmm. And um, I had lived in the same house from the time I was 10 days old. My parents moved to Farragut in 1967. And um, 
then they, um, and I lived there until three days after my 18th birthday. So I'd never moved. And then I moved around a lot, um, (laughs) after that. And, um, just because I, you know, I wanted that adventure, I guess. Mm -hmm. And, um, the traveling, um, with my husband's work for four and a half years, that was definitely, I think, kind of satisfied a little bit of that wanderlust that I had. And it was really cool to get to do it with my kids. Yeah. Uh, you know, so we had this little homestead now. Uh-huh. Um, it's not big. Um, you know, our lot's a little over three quarters of an acre, not even a full acre. And, um, but our neighborhood has um, common property. And so um, we have um, six other neighbors in our neighborhood and, we share about 44 acres together. So it's, it's, a, it's a community big. of other people that live there and uh, believe and, and actively use nature around like you guys do. So it's a community of shared common values about eating right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we're not dictating to anybody how they eat. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure there's people that live in my valley. I mean, there's probably about... Uh, 150, 175 people that live in our actual little valley that are outside, you know, including the eco village. So there's been a lot of people kind of like me that came there originally because of the eco village and then maybe settled, you know, outside of the the outskirts or, you know, bordering the eco village, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there's a lot of uh, people with, uh, you know, common values and that kind of thing. I really, when we first moved there, I was really excited about moving somewhere where, you know, when our kids would go over to somebody's house and eat that they were, you know, like the snacks and the food that they were eating were going to be organic. Right. right. Instead of of someone knocking on the door, wanting to borrow, you know, a cup of sugar, it'd be like, can I borrow a cup of oatmeal or some flaxseed, that type of thing, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, and, and we're surrounded. There's so many herbalists in our community, mm-hmm. and you know, you're always getting somebody like, "Hey, who has extra, you know, shot of Ari or you know, whatever." Um, and I've learned so much about plants and yeah. our and how beneficial so many different plants are to us as humans, and mm-hmm. you know, learned about ethical harvesting of plants how to ask a plant before you take you know any part of them for medicine or food just to you know and and to give gratitude and like some kind of reciprocity back to Mm -hmm. the earth when we harvest and that's been really you know something that I've been learning slowly just by witnessing other folks Mm -hmm. doing something similar or you know sharing that kind of knowledge with me Um, I also realized living this way that when I was a child, I was basically a little baby herbalist and I didn't even know. Um, I was, you know, actively picking plants in my suburban lawn, Mm -hmm. uh, much to my mother's dismay. She never could (laughs) get that perfect lawn. And, you know, we always had clover and dandelions. And I remember my mom used to pay us a nickel for picking dandelions before they went to seed (laughs) each dandelion. And, you know, that's so wild because the dandelion is like one of the most misaligned plants that there is because every single part of it is good for you. Explain. What are are some benefits of dandelion? What would you do to it to make it? So, like, 
like the dandelion root is like super great for like clearing out your liver. It's a great uh, liver detox. Hmm. It also can be like a you can take the roots and you can chop them up and roast them, and it's almost like a, a like a coffee substitute. Also, the leaves of dandelions are all edible, like you know, like greens. Like it's a like a little bit of a bitter greens, and they have you know lots of vitamins and minerals and things in them, and the flowers are edible as well. My nemesis, um, glyphosate, also known as Roundup, mm. um, you know, like right on top of their, you know, advertising and their marketing is a picture of a dandelion. Oh, wow. You know, and here's this plant that can grow between cracks in sidewalks. It is, you know, resilient. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's this plant that has so much value to it. And yet, you know, we have this system of corporations that tell you it's bad. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Or <laughs> that you don't that you don't want these, you know, cute little flowers that are also edible. And I might mention that they are the first food for bees in the spring. Oh, yeah. So, if it wasn't for the bees, we would all be perishing. That's right. You know, <laughs> and a lot of it just keeps going back to the bees, you know. The yeah. pollinators are definitely our friends and... We have so much, uh, have so much gratitude and appreciation for our pollinator friends, not just honeybees, but all the different bees and wasps and butterflies and things that feed off of these plants. So, yeah, so I I guess I, you know, started to realize that in some ways I was just, you know, like I was a little bit of an herbalist as a kid. I was picking plantain and clover and i lived in a mimosa tree when i was a child um and mimosa is the bark it's called the joy tree so you can make medicine out of the bark you can uh, make medicine out of the flowers it's amazing and you know i grew up in this tree but i never you know ate anything i think the only thing i ever ate when i was a kid because i was probably afraid that my would get in trouble course my mother and my grandmother had lost all this knowledge already Mm. now my granny on my dad's side they had lived you know in east tennessee in jefferson county for a long time Mm. and she was pretty elderly when i was born she was already in her late 70s and i would imagine that she probably knew some of these folk ways Mm of food and medicine and plants but you know they had already moved they moved to the city when i think in 1944 my grandfather started working at um the secret city <laughs> oak ridge and, oak ridge yeah the manhattan yeah. project build a bomb yeah. build, a better, build a better bomb <laughs> yeah i had five uncles my dad's the youngest of 10 kids and there was eight boys and I had five uncles in the Pacific theater mm-hmm. and um, they interesting. Had it's called a theater. Point. Interesting. It's called a theater. Cause a lot of it is just a lot of show for fear. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I've used that word specifically. Yeah. 
But uh, okay, so yeah, Trisha, thank you so much for uh, talking today about your vast knowledge of the, of food and the farming industry that you're doing. This is such wonderful material. And when you think about it, when we played Bearden back in the day, we were the Farragut farmers, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know, like literally. But we only got a couple of minutes left. I'm gonna uh, let you go about your day. But let's talk a little bit about back in the day in high school. You were the class of '85. What were you doing as far as um, hangouts uh, back in that day? What was your favorite place to hang out? We did the whole, you know, Mr. Gaddy, Swinson's ice cream, oh, Brunswick yeah. billiards thing, you know. But a, a, a lot of the time that I was hanging out was with all my theater friends and. Right, yeah. Now, Scott, McBride, Scott McBride was on the interview earlier. Did oh, you get, I know. I heard it. Did you yes, get a chance Scott, to go to New York City ever while you were in school? Um, not when I was in school. Actually, I never went to New York. I always wanted to go there and live. That was my plan after high school was to go to um, and, and live in New York City. Uh, <laughs> I never got a chance to visit until my son was invited to be on a, a, a television program yeah. in Manhattan. And so he got he got me my trip to, to yeah. um, New York City. So That's that was awesome. pretty cool. Yeah. Also, yeah. in the show notes, I'm going to put links to where you can hear some of Burke's talks and uh, click right to him. He had a lot to say. And millions and millions of views on YouTube with his uh, yeah, speaking yeah. about food. He's point. 22 now. He's working on a farm um, called Encompass Farm. Mm hmm and he also works for a meadery, which is honey wine, which is like one of the original alcoholic beverages. It's mm -hmm. um, kind of making a resurgence. Is and, it like a natural beverage? Yeah, it's um, it's fermented honey wine. It's wine made with honey as a sweetener. Oh, oh wow, and that's cool. Mead, yeah. So a lot of our uh, Celtic, you know, those of us who have Celtic and um ancestry well that's awesome yeah i was going to ask you what is he up to now and the other twin and your daughter what are they into these days yeah so my other son just recently moved out to denver colorado and so he's getting to check that place out and um, our daughter is um, 19 and she works for a local restaurant that sources it's a butchery and a bar and a restaurant mm -hmm. and they s get all their meat from small local farms well that's great and and then john uh your husband what's he doing he is uh semi-retired and he works for a local greenhouse and nursery part-time and then we're homesteading doing all the things mm -hmm. um saturday we just harvested uh 70 chickens meat chickens and we've been processing and freezing and canning and dehydrating and all those things ever right. since saturday oh, wow, so that's great so you're literally 30 this morning you you're using your research, you're using your, uh, the knowledge you've grown to make your family live better, eat better, and just, it's it's wonderful, um, I think, and uh, more power to you. Um, you know, everybody at Farragut High School can certainly look to what you're doing as new information to study and hopefully implement into their lives. Um, so that's great. It's been wonderful talking to you. We're going to have to have you back on the podcast to do like a part two. Um, so much to talk about. And so I'm well, going to um, just, just gonna wrap this up here and let you get back. What would you summarize? What's a good uh, mission statement or how would you summarize what your life so far, what you've learned into a, a phrase or a statement? Wow. I don't know. <laughs> I would say I, I love that Edward Abbey quote about, you know, America, you know, the United States used to be a 
something about craftspeople and farmers. And yeah, I'd love to see us transition back into a, a world that where we really have a lot of reverence for the land and the soil and the mm-hmm. plants and what we nourish our bodies with. And yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, you know, we didn't get to talk about the native tribal communities that existed here before the land was raped and stolen from them and all their wonderful things they have contributed to using, uh, I guess you could say, Mother Earth as a nutritional resource and as a companion friend. Maybe we can talk about that on the next podcast we do. That sounds great, Vic. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate talking to you and your perspective. All right. Well, well, thank you once again, Trisha Bear and uh, you and the the five bears of y'all uh, keep hibernating and living and existing there in the mountains and doing what you're doing. It's wonderful information. Thanks for joining us today to the Big Blue Podcast for Farragut High School. If you're interested in becoming an interviewee, please send correspondence to the following email address, also listed in the show notes. Send all correspondence to FHSBigBlue1982 at gmail.com. Again, that's FHSBigBlue1982 at gmail.com.